Awake in the Dream Radio with Laura Eisenhower and Dr. Green. Raising your frequency and expanding your consciousness one guest at a time. Wow, everyone, welcome. This is Awaken the Dream Radio. I am Dr. Dream. Welcome this evening. Uh, My co-host and partner, Laura Eisenhower, has whatever I came back from my trip to Northern California with um, this weekend, and she is in the thick of it uh, this evening. So, unfortunately, she won't be joining us in form, but she is most certainly here in spirit. Today, September 11, 2012, 9-11, what a day. Takes us all back. It was very important when we looked at who we wanted to be our guest for 9-11. And we really um, didn't want to do anything about about 9-11. There's, there's enough out there. Um, our listeners, we already know, are awake in that dream um, or nightmare as it possibly could be um, looked at. And so what we really wanted to do this evening was to give um, a really lovely energy to to this day and to this broadcast. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, our guest this evening is a woman that, that Laura and I have a great deal of respect for. We met her for the first time um, at, uh, oh, geez. Uh, she, she'll tell me the name of the conference once once I introduce her. I just can't even remember. It was in San Francisco uh, earlier this year, and Laura and and Tricia and Sean David Morton and maybe one other person uh, were on a panel together. And um, Tricia's information and and what she shared during that panel really struck a chord with Laura and myself, and so we thought, you know. This would be a great guest. So tonight we have Trisha McCannon. She is a renowned American clairvoyant, a historian, an author, and a teacher. And I will tell you that that is the shortened list of all that she is um, and, and doesn't even begin to touch on all that she has accomplished. And so um, without going any more into the introduction, because she has so much to share and so much really wonderful information for us, it is just an absolute pleasure for me to introduce Trisha McCannon. Welcome, Trisha. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Dream, and I love the name of your show and Laura's show, Awaken the Dream. How fabulous. What a great name. I figure that that's just what's going on for all of us, and, and here we are in the dream, and it is, it's our goal to assist people to be awake in the dream um, by the guests that we bring and the information and the, the energetics that are shared. Well, you know, you're speaking to me from Atlanta, Georgia, and you're out. Uh, you're in uh, San Francisco, yes? South of San Francisco, we're in uh, Ventura, right between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. Oh gosh, that's a lovely, lovely area. 
And I'm sure probably our listeners are going, you know, all over the West Coast, if not all over the nation. Yeah, actually, we have people all over the world. Uh, some will listen to it archived, and um, some of our listeners we know actually either stay up very late or set an alarm to be joining us. And so we welcome everyone to tonight's broadcast. Well, on this end of the world, I'm you know, I'm really uh, thrilled to get a chance to talk about some of the incredible things that are going to be happening this fall. I mean, it's very difficult to even believe that we're already here in 2012, this long-awaited year. Don't you feel like that? It, at times it's unbelievable, and then I'll have an experience, and I'll just say to myself, well, of course, it's 2012. What did I expect? Well, actually, you know, it's amazing. This, uh, aside from the tremendous solar flares that have caused a lot of, uh, uh, you know, heat and drought, especially for the poor farmers, except for that, it's been a pretty good year. I mean, there's been no, you know, major disasters that I can think of, at least in America. But um, these solar flares, of course, you know, we've been saved from having our entire power grid go out. This is great. We still have another year of this kind of intense heat to go through, at least according to scientific thought in circles. Uh, we're really this year and next year at the the top of the peak of the solar maximum. So, you know, if we got through this summer, this is great. We only have one more summer to go through, and then hopefully things will begin to cool down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Now, Tricia, before we get into a lot of the really good, powerful information. I just want to get a little background on you. I mean, you're very accomplished. Um, all the different things that, that you've been involved in, you've been on so many uh, radio and TV shows, um, including Coast to Coast AM, Unsolved Mysteries, Strange Universe, and and all sorts of documentaries. Um, you're the author of over 30 CDs and DVDs, and um, a couple of uh, several books, right? One, um, Dialogues with Angels and the Acclaimed Jesus, the Explosive Story of the Last 30 Years, and the Ancient Mystery Religions. So I want to know just a little bit to kind of set the foundation for us. You're, where, you're, you're obviously from the South, but tell us a little bit about your background and, and like, you know, where did you come from to be where you are now? Um, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, actually, you know, my dad was military. He was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. And so I was born, believe it or not, in Detroit, Michigan, although I've only been back there once. But I was raised in the South, and I've lived in the South my uh, most of my life, although, as you know, I travel and teach and speak all over the world, usually in about six to ten uh, cities in the U.S. and about three countries a year. And I've done that for about 20 years. Um, a little grounded information, my dad was a lawyer, and this is probably one of the reasons why in my own research I tend to be so thorough. Um, as you may know, I'm a clairvoyant. I've read for over 6,000 people around the world. Uh, I have always had the gift since I was a little girl to be able to really see interdimensionally. And um, growing up here in Atlanta, I was we were in the outskirts of Atlanta, and there was a great forest across from our, our house. And so I spent a lot of time in the forest because um, I felt like I could hear the wind in the trees and I could hear the trees talking. And I began to see little elemental energies, which are like um, 
uh, angel juniors, you know, um, that were taking care of the plants. And I, when they noticed that I could see them, I think they were quite surprised, they sent an angel who was the over-lighting angel of the forest to come and speak with me. And I was about eight years old at this time, and he t- taught me about how the universe is organized. He told me that there are many dimensional planes and levels and that in the worlds of God, um, angels serve uh, according to function. And so there is a hierarchy, but not a hierarchy from the point of view of ego, but from the point of view of divine service. And um, he explained to me that these elementals eventually, after millions of years, they would become... um, you know, a forest angel. And from a forest angel, you would have, let us say, a a larger landscape angel, eventually a planetary angels and solar system angels. And these are, let us say, the spiritual beings that help to keep the physical world in balance and functioning. Um, If you think about the physical world in a mechanical way, who's helping to run it? Well, certainly the angels are. So um, I did a lot of praying growing up that someone, let us say wiser than myself, would show up that could help to explain to me why one night in my dream state I would be in the temples of golden wisdom in the higher worlds with masters learning. Another night I'd be in what I would call the bowels of the lower astral plane. Most of us that have had nightmares know what that's like. Another night I would be on board a spaceship with very benevolent, kind beings being taught uh, about the evolution of planets. And so I was like, well, where's the brake and the pedal and the steering mechanism on this gift? You know. <laughs> and I found that I, when I would look at people, sometimes I would be flooded with clairvoyant information about them, and other times I would try to look and I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything. And so I was like, well, how does this gift work exactly? So when I was 19 years old, in answer to those prayers, I had a group of masters appear to me, and they were called the Viragi Masters. And they were they are they actually are in the physical plane. They have some of them have physical bodies. There are about five or six that I know of down here. And then some of them, of course, have lived on Earth, but then they graduated, so they're stationed, let us say, in the fourth dimension or the fifth dimension. And if you can go up to those dimensions, you can meet them and study with them. These masters basically teach that all of us are immortal souls and that when we come into this world, we take on a body and a personality in order to work out our karma, but also to accomplish a a purpose or a destiny or a mission. And in an ideal world, you take the wounding of your karma, maybe your dysfunctional childhood or whatever, and by instead of running from it, by asking yourself the deeper questions and learning to answer them, you actually um, gain the tools to be able to step into your life's work. They also teach that we have the ability, while we're still living in the physical body in this lifetime, to shift our consciousness and to travel in the higher world so that you don't have to take my word for what's going to happen when you die. You yourself can go and have your own experiences and find out. And for me, of course, this was perfect um, because I'm very much a evidence kind of girl. And despite the fact that I'm a clairvoyant, I um, 
I feel like that things need to have grounding to them in order for us to to know how seriously to consider them. So um, they had a map to the inner planes. They had specific techniques that I teach today in my mystery school about how to begin to shift your consciousness. They say that the three purest ways that we can experience the divine down here are first love, second sound, in the beginning was the word, and third light. So by working with light and sound and love, we can begin to directly heal our bodies, release our karma, uh, and work with, um, let us say, letting the bag of boulders that we may have been carrying around for many lifetimes, letting that uh, begin to fall from us. Um, so, so these masters really became my teachers for many, many decades. I still see them from time to time. But in the straight Clark Kent world, I became a commercial advertising photographer. Um, I shot for IBM and Coca-Cola, Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, and I had my photography studio for over 25 years. I only closed it a few years ago. And um, But my inner life was all about uh, spiritual development. And when I was about 30 years old, I was at Stonehenge in England, and I had... um, a very powerful experience where I was sitting meditating with my back to one of the stones. It was a blustery Tuesday. There were maybe 20 people there. And everything got very quiet. And I opened my eyes, and the visitors had gone. They were had vanished. And the visitor's center had vanished. And um, the paved road had vanished. It was a dirt road. And there were stones standing that aren't standing today. And there was an angel about 40, 30 or 40 feet from me, he had brownish, blondish, curly hair to his shoulders, wavy, clean-shaven. and well, I don't think they shave at all. I don't think they have beards. <laughs> and he took his finger, and his finger was like, shh, you know, in front of your mouth, a single finger, and he took it and he made this big sweeping gesture. And when he did that, he unsealed the Akashic Records for me. And from that time on, I found that I could access the soul records of anybody that I met at will. It was as if I had, I was about 12 years into my training at this point, I had graduated. And I'm sure that I've had this this gift in many, many other lifetimes, but it was kind of like I had done enough work that they said, all right. So um, since then, I've done about 6,000 readings for people all around the world. And, you know, when I first started reading, I, I was only going back three, four, five thousand 5,000 years. And then I made a leap to where I was suddenly going back 20,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 years. And I found myself actually in um, ancient civilizations like Atlantis and Lemuria. And it was actually very interesting because... Although there were homes and families and institutions and all of the kinds of things we have, the whole place was vibrating at a higher frequency than we have been vibrating. It was almost as if they were like in the fourth dimension and um, or the third and a half dimension. Uh (laughs) And and I would start seeing, uh, especially during, there was a big period of time when Atlantis became a star capital all around uh, for the galaxy. It became a very important center galactically. And I started seeing spaceships coming in and coming out. 
Well, you know, Atlantis was up for thousands of years, so of course it went through many phases from, you know, sort of its Greek times and its Roman times to its war times to eventually its technological times. But I started seeing these ships coming in from other planetary systems, and I was like, well, hello, where, where do they come from? So I began to follow those uh, the souls back to the star systems that they came from. And over a period of many years and many people's records, uh, I began to uh, be able to uh, look at civilizations in other star systems like the Pleiades or the Sirius system. And I came to realize that we had been seeded by many different star systems. And, of course, this was actually um, a very interesting period of time because I had been approached, let us say, uh, directly in my dream state by a group of beings um, called the Priestesses of Isis. And I, of course, had no idea who they were at the time. But I had a very powerful dream when I was about 27 that I had gone back to school for my master's, which is kind of a inside joke. I'm sure the subconscious was playing on me. <laughs> and um, I was in a dormitory, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, there were all these strange hieroglyphic symbols. They weren't Egyptian exactly. There was another language, but I knew it was a language of light. And I looked at them, and I thought, I tried to remember them, but I fell back asleep, and when I woke up, of course, they were they were gone, so I could only remember one. So I went to the library, and I was trying to find some references to it, and the student assistant came and got me and said, there's a phone call for you at the front desk. And I was like, for me? Nobody even knows I'm here. So I went to the front desk. A woman on the other end of the phone said, is this Tricia McCannon? And I said, yes. And she said, we've called to tell you that your dreams are real. And I said, who is this? And she said, we're from the priestesses of Isis, and that's all we're permitted to tell you at this time. And then she hung up. And then I woke up, and it was a dream within a dream. And two months later, these beings contacted me. These people contacted me on the outer, on the physical world, and invited me to begin to study these ancient mysteries. And so over the course of many decades... I've become trained in a number of ancient mystery teachings. The Egyptian, the Native American twisted hair tradition, who claim to be record keepers um, of the planet's history going back some 230,000 years. The um, goddess teachings, which of course are worldwide, although many people have been unaware of them for you know centuries except maybe if you were over in the Far East where some of the goddesses are more actively, you know, respected or honored or talk, talked about. And um, and then some Druidic teaching. So, you know, on top of my Christian background um, and the Viragi, which those masters actually are both, um, they really are all over the world. I mean, they're... They come from every tradition. Rumi was one. Shamasi Tabriz was one. Yabal Sukabi, Rabar Tars, Petar Zask. There, there are many of those that have been very famous um, teachers and philosophers that uh, people know about throughout history. So um, that sort of, you know, gives you a little bit of background about how I really sort of um, 
proceeded with this journey. And I, I never really intended to go out and teach and speak nationally or internationally. It was really, um, you know, I think it was really my guides. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, my family being part of them being fundamentalist. I have a brother-in-law that's a preacher that I'm sure believes that all of us are going to hell, you know. <laughs> and uh, and my dad being a lawyer, I uh, was always very private with my own experiences. And um, I think it's interesting how spirit works to draw us out and to draw us towards what we're meant to do. And sometimes if we could see the big picture, we might be so daunted at the beginning that we wouldn't do it. But, you know, it's like, as they say to me, walk in beauty, walk in light, one foot in front of the other. And so that's really kind of how they they led me. Um, because I'd had these experiences on board UFOs my whole life, uh, I uh, wound up being... These masters took me when I was in my 20s to a movie theater in the inner planes, and we would watch movies. And when I would wake up, I'd think, that was a great movie. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, that movie's not down here. I could write it. So I started writing screenplays, and one of the movies was about the UFO phenomena. And uh, I thought, well, gosh, before I take six weeks off work to to write it, I think I'll go to a conference or read a book or something. So uh, I went to a MUFON conference, the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, this must have been probably, I don't know, 1987 or something. And um, I sat for three days and listened to physicists, uh, ex-military colonels, um, anthropologists, engineers, uh, all these very grounded people talk about the fact that this was a real phenomena. And, I, and while that was in itself amazing, I think the thing that blew me away the most was that I realized that I knew most of what they were saying uh, and I knew more about some things that they didn't seem to know about. And, of course, I had to ask myself, well, uh, how could I possibly know this? And so what I told myself was, you know, I must be really good at soul travel, uh, because really and truly I, I knew it would just rock my world and turn everything upside down if I really um, believed that I had had physical plane experiences with these visitors from the stars. And I certainly was not willing to go there. That was just too too much of a um, a change in my reality. And so I came back to Atlanta. This is, again, about the time I was 27, 28, and I set up a nonprofit organization here in Atlanta called the UFO Forum. And for eight years, I brought in wonderful speakers to uh, the Atlanta area. Uh, And then, of course, my guides had told me that I really needed to begin to speak. And eventually, of course, I got so busy with my own speaking schedule that I couldn't continue to produce it. But... um, even though people produce me in places all around the world, from time to time I will bring someone to Atlanta and produce them because I, I think it's important to be able to wear both hats and uh, to support people like yourselves that are really working to try to to raise the consciousness and, and bring the truth out. And I know Laura has been a uh, a really beautiful voice that's come forward and that expo, by the way, we met at was the New Living Expo in San. That's right. Yeah, and she was breath of fresh air, just lovely. And and she certainly is, Trisha. 
there's there's uh I've got so many questions. I'm just taking so many notes so fast and I'm never gonna get to the questions I have already and every time you say something I add more questions. But one of the things I wanna ask you is how did you stay in the the reality of being a photographer and the, the advertising industry and everything, which is kind of that sort of surface um you know uh industry yeah, anyway think, I, with with everything going on in your clairvoyance and and the the ufo contact and everything i mean it seems to me that i mean if i had been going through all that i would have sort of broken ranks earlier than you so h- how did that work for you well actually i love photography i love filmmaking i love writing uh i find all of that incredibly creative and fun uh, I love working with the makeup artists and wardrobes and art directors. They're they're another form of creative uh, uh, person. Uh, I think in an ideal world, I would uh, be writing movies and directing and producing them, um, or television series actually about uh, the great spiritual mysteries. And so um, I, I really love that world. It's very fun. I think only one time ever was I asked to shoot a product. Uh, for someone that I, I, I thought that the product was not a good product. Uh, really, there's a lot of great people in that field. And even though, you know, we hear the, you know, the rap that it's all illusionary, of course, you know, do we have to have our mayonnaise? <laughs> do we have to have our Coca-Cola? No, we don't have to have those things. But there are people who like their Coca-Cola, and Coca-Cola uh, has done a lot of good things in the Atlanta market. I'll tell you, they've spent a lot of money on on uh, things to try to help. Uh, um, And so, you know, it's a give and take, and it's a collaborative process working in advertising, and I enjoy that. Um, I think it also freed me to um, be able to pursue these deeper things. And interestingly enough, I actually think a lot of clients that were sent to me for photography uh, that's what they thought, and that's what it appeared to be. They would wind up telling me remarkable stories about uh, uh, spiritual experiences they'd had, uh, angels, um, uh, ghosts, especially when they knew, that, you know, later, like they didn't know in the beginning that I had this gift. But when I came back from England, you know, um, and that angel had unsealed the Akashic Records, um, it became a little tricky for me. I would be, let's say, with the vice president of Ted Turner, shooting for Turner Enterprises here, and suddenly I would, their guides would appear and start talking to me, and I would be like, shh, shh, go away. This is like, I'm in a photo shoot. <laughs> I'm like, listen, you don't need to be, you know, it's like, they, I was really resistant. And, um, of course, the guides would usually keep it up. And so eventually I would say, listen to my client, I don't know if you believe in any of this, but sometimes I'm able to see things, you know, and or I get messages or, you know, if you'd like, I can tell you. And it would always be dead on. I remember one time uh, a, a big client came in, and I kept seeing this 14-year-old boy standing beside him or behind him. And eventually I said, listen, I don't know why I'm picking this up, but, you know, X, Y, Z. And the guy began to cry and he told me that six months earlier he and his wife had lost their son to a drowning accident. And so um, over and over again, it was like this. One time I had a, a client that found out that I did this and said, can you please um, pl- can you please read for me? And 
you know, uh, he came home uh, to my house with his wife, and I read for them, but I kept feeling that there was something else I was supposed to see. And as they were leaving, the wife said, uh, listen, um, I don't know if you can see this, uh, but my brother is is very sick, and can you tell me what's going to happen with him? Well, I said, well, I mean, I immediately got chills, and I knew that this was the thing that, this was the real reason they were there. So I held her hand, and I was able to access her brother through her. And um, I told her that he, his soulmate was not on the planet, and that he had made an agreement with his soulmate that when she was ready to reincarnate, he would reincarnate with her so that they could grow up and fall in love and get married. And I saw that him saying goodbye to his current wife and his two children and, you know, addressing things like where was the will and where were the papers and all of this. But um, he was not to stay. And then I saw him leaving his body and going out, and he was met by his grandfather in this lifetime, by his soulmate, who he had never known in this lifetime, and then uh, by one other friend. And he was so happy, he didn't even look back. Well, when they got home, there was a recording on their machine, and the brother had died at exactly the moment that I was doing the reading. So I had seen his condition. So that was huge. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I think it it took a lot of events like that that for me to eventually decide to start doing readings like I've been doing them for the last 20 years. I, um, you know, I didn't even charge for readings the first four years because my bread and butter was being made through photography. But it became really, really evident that spirit was pushing me in that direction. And you know when you're working for God, basically, that spirit, uh, the work has a life of its own. And it's it's... We have to be willing to be dedicated, but in truth, spirit moves through us. We're just a vessel. And so um, what happened in the process of this unfoldment was I uh, had clients that would come to see me that had real problems. I mean, not just like love life problems, but very deep life problems and sometimes health issues. And um, I remember the first time that uh, this is probably not the first time, but this is a turning point. And so for me, it's the first time I really registered it like this. I had this adorable little man in New York City who was about 85 years old, wore tennis shoes and khaki pants and a baseball hat, and he climbed up five flights of steps to get to the New York walk-up that I was staying in to do the readings. And he came in and he said, My mother never loved me. She'd never touch me or hold me or tell me she cared for me. My um, wife never loved me. She'd never want to sleep with me or anything. And then she got Alzheimer's, and I had to take care of her for 14 years with Alzheimer's. And he said, now I'm dating a woman in her 60s, and she says she won't kiss me unless, you know, I'll marry her. What is wrong with me? Am I really so horrible? Am I really so repulsive? And I thought, oh, my gosh, Lord, help me. I mean, you know, how can I help this person? So, 
you know, I began to pray to actually, um, well, I mean, I was able to go back clairvoyantly because I, I had, this is, I think, one of the aspects of this gift. I went back about a thousand years ago. This um, lovely guy had been like a friar tuck. You know, he had his little village and his mutton chops and, you know, his big belly. And he was just a nice, jolly guy. He was the friar. And um, what happened was that there was a big cathedral, you know, at the the town near, you know, whatever it was, 30 miles away. And they had had a black mass ceremony where they had raped this virgin, this girl. And instead of killing her, they had said, oh, just get rid of her. And so the guy who had been charged with getting rid of this girl that was in great distress and kind of half out of her mind, was shunted off to this village friar in the middle of the night. Well, you know, they brought her in naked but with a cloak with bruises, and it was pretty bad. So this friar Tuck was so torn between his desire to want to help her, his pity and compassion, and the fact that, oh, my God, here's a beautiful, gorgeous, alabaster, naked woman lying on my straw bed that he raped her, and he, she never came to. She died a few days later. She never came out of her, you know, um, shock. And so from that point on, he had judged himself. If people really knew who he was, they would never love him. If people really knew. So for a thousand years, he had paid penance through having lifetime after lifetime where he was unloved because he had judged himself. And um, at that point, I remember beginning to pray for God to give me the the power to be able to free people from these past karmic mistakes. So over the last 20 years or so, I've become trained in many different healing techniques and I'm, I'm sure there are many out there, and there are some wonderful healers. But I've discovered that basically most of us have certain things that are going on in the subconscious that our conscious minds can see the outpicturing of the pattern that's not working, but we don't many times know how to get to the real root of it or the problem. We just see the pattern reoccurring. And this is because in our subconscious, which holds, of course, the memory of all of our traumas, our beliefs, our vows, our um, uh, uh, old contracts that we haven't released, uh, are basically five core things. Vows that we have taken, maybe in, in past lives, and they could have been perfect vows for the lifetime we were in. But let's just imagine you were a priest or a nun, vows of poverty, chastity, or obedience. Well, that was great for back then, but now we don't want to be poor. We don't want to, you know, be a nun the rest of our lives, and <laughs> and we'd like to have a, a partner and a love life. And um, we don't want to give our power away or be so angry with authority because we did give our power away that we sabotage ourselves. So those vows could have been fine then, but they're not really working for us anymore. So vows are one of the things that almost everybody has. 
most people have 100 to 200 vows. Now, all of those vows not, might not be bad. Some of them could still be fine and working. But most of us have, you know, most of our vows are, you know, 80 to 90% of them really need to be jettisoned. And this is why with the conscious self, the conscious self goes over and says, I think I'll go to the right over here and be successful and have a partner and make money. And before you know it, you get being pulled over to the left over and over. And you can't figure out what's going on, why you seem to be off course. So vows are one. Um, Chords are another. These are ways in which we are, mm, let us say, we've given our power away and we're leaking power. And those chords are connected to our chakras. Usually it can be any chakras, but the second and third chakras are almost always involved because that has to do with our identity and our power. So... um, the the chords are people or places or things or military or religious or political organ, organizations or institutions that we've given our power to. And this can include an abusive father. It can be an ex-boyfriend that was dominating. It can be, you know, an overbearing mother. It can be uh, um, uh, a boss that's abusive to you. Uh, or it could be, you know, let us say the Catholic Church that you you were sworn to a thousand years ago. Not that they're not wonderful people in the Catholic Church, uh, but um, that might not be serving you now. So, um, so courts are the second one. Um, I remember one time clearing a woman who uh, had had two lifetimes uh, as a prostitute. And all those men she had slept with, she had these filament cords in her field. And when I pulled those cords out, literally she collapsed in my arms. And her whole core issue in this lifetime, although she was certainly not a prostitute, she was a a very nice person, but she could not have healthy relationships with men because her belief system was you have to use men before they can use you, and the only reason they want you is to use you. And, of course, that came straight out of those lifetimes where the only way she could survive in, 17th, in 16th or 17th century England, you know, she was starving to death. You know, she, right. So it's very interesting, you know, how this all goes back. So uh, vows, uh, chords, there are also curses. I can talk about that if you want. Erroneous belief systems formed in times of trauma and also old soul contracts. And many of our old soul contracts are just fine. You know, before we come into this lifetime, we meet with our guides and angels and we figure out what our plan is and where we need to go. And and then someone says, "And can I come in and be your wife or your husband? I want to be your kid. Can I sign up for your kid? Many of these contracts are just great and they're working for us. But sometimes there are contracts in place that are not working. And I'll give you just one example. Just imagine 500 years ago, your wife is run over or your husband's run over by a wagon and paralyzed, and you're saying, don't worry, honey, I'll take care of you forever. Uh-oh. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> what happens then is the same soul comes in lifetime after lifetime, and this time it's your brother that can't get a job that has you have to support him, or it's your retarded sister that you have to support, or it's your alcoholic 
father who lives in the back that you have to support the back room or you know there or there's uh, some reason why you have to continue to support this person that's not working for them they're trapped and it's not working for you that's an example of an old soul contract that really needs to be dissolved so Trisha, you know, let, me, let me ask you something um for for people that are going through whatever it is they're going through and they're realizing, okay, this isn't um, a this-lifetime thing, what what can they do, you know, other than, than call you for, for a reading, which we're going to get all that information to people and stuff like that, but, but what other uh, ways are there to kind of identify what's going on um, and what is it connected to, like the old soul contracts or the cords or vows from the past? Uh, great question. Um, in the first place, you know, there are four brainwave states. Busy beta brain, that's our conscious mind. Alpha, that's where we meditate or create from. Theta, and this is where we store all that past life uh, uh, memory, theta, and then delta. So the answer to being able to get to the things to clear them is to go into theta. And one of the best ways of doing this, there are a number of ways to do it, but one of the very best ways is uh, past life uh, hypnotherapy. And um, there have been some wonderful people like uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Weiss and um, uh, Dr. John Newton, uh, uh, all the wonderful Dolores Cannon, uh, and I'm sure many other therapists. My old friend Betty Bender, who used to head up the Association for Past Life Research and Therapy, and many excellent people, Walter Simke, there, who's up, I think, in the Pacific Northwest. There are m- many uh, wonderful uh, hypnotherapists, and some of them do specialize in past life, and not just past life for the sake of information. Uh, it's one thing to discover it and reveal it. And sometimes that process is powerful enough in itself that when you bring it back into the conscious mind, you're able to make the connections and the issue dissolves. Uh, and this is, of course, what Brian, Dr. Brian Weiss did. Um, I, over the years, have sort of developed a process where if I'm going to take someone back uh, we actually um, begin, you know, in the current lifetime, I have them meet their spirit guide who was there long before I was there and will be there long after I leave. And together, me, the spirit guide, and the client in this lifetime, we journey back. We find the life before there was a trauma, so we get to see how everything was going fine and how they were pretty happy. And then we discover what the trauma was, and then we intervene in the timeline. So we have my client in the present literally appear before themselves in the past. And bizarrely enough, even though the people in the past initially, especially with the angel there, will think that you know we're some kind of divine apparition, when we explain that this is them in the future, they never doubt it, even though they're stunned, even though it's outside of their belief system, when the soul meets itself in two different lifetimes, there is immediate recognition. And so then we explain to the past life self the events that are about to unfold. And we help to give them a different set of choices, an empowered set of choices, so that they can, uh, you know, let us say, alert the village that there's going to be a raid where everyone's going to be killed, so that the village is then prepared. And, in fact, many times they actually not only get their own power back, 
but they help to save other people in the process, which is incredibly empowering. So once we go through a completely new timeline, which creates a completely different set of neural pathways in the brain, um, then we uh, we unite the healed self in the past with the self in this life, and uh, uh, so we integrate the healed self back in, and then my client gets to come back. And so what that actually does at a neurological level is whether the client knew it or not, the reason that they continued to attract, you know, whatever sort of disaster it was in the current life was because their neural net was, was we could say at a neurological level, they only had one pathway. You could say at the level of the aura or the energy bodies, the emotional, the astral, the causal body, which contains the the history, the imprint of everything we've ever done, the mental body, the spiritual body, the etheric body, you could say that that information of that tragedy or that belief or that trauma was lodged like a boulder in their field. Or if it was a trauma, it was more like a jagged wound where no matter how much they wanted to be empowered, they they could never get it because they didn't have that frequency in their aura. So when you come back, what happens is they suddenly have this new frequency. They have new neurological pathways. So when they come up to, should I fall in love? Or the last time I fell in love, I was, you know, you know, I died. Um, or left at the altar. Should I fall in love? They can see the old path, but they have a whole other pathway to go down that suddenly opens up their life for them and anything's possible. I love this. Now, I, I want to ask, you have um, the Mystery School, uh, the, the Phoenix Fire Mystery School based in Atlanta. And um, is what you're describing, is, is that something that's part of that curriculum at the, the Mystery School? And if it's not, tell us, or, you know, I, I really want to hear more about uh, the Mystery School. I, I know you're known as the Mysteries Expert. Yes, well, um, that's actually in the in the second level. Um, you know, the ancient mystery schools were created on three levels. The first level was dedicated to the divine feminine, the second to the divine masculine, and the third to the unity or the balance of the two. So obviously any spiritual path that leaves out either the masculine or the feminine can't come to mastery in the end. So very important to honor both. In the first level of the mystery school, when we talk about the divine feminine, we're not just talking about the feminine face of God or the goddess. We're talking about the natural world. We're talking about the mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the human kingdom. We're talking about um, uh, healing, uh, um, the hermetic mysteries, um, uh, the tree of life. Uh, the nine orders of the angels, understanding how the soul comes down from the higher levels and how we, let us say, fall asleep within the worlds of matter and how we can begin to wake up. Um, um, the cycles of time, this means lunar time, uh, the moon, solar time, uh, the procession of the equinoxes, uh, and uh, galactic time, which is, of course, part of what we're dealing with with this huge 2012 galactic alignment. So the the first the way the structure is for the mystery school, the first year is 12 lessons or 12 weekends. 
And because I've had so many people over the years say, do you have an online program? When I taught the first level this last time, and I'm just actually completing a group that's been together for 18 months um, that's from all over the whole southeast, and about every six weeks, you know, about 17, 18 of them drive in from five different states, and they're actually about to graduate at the end of September, which is very exciting. Um, so uh, I, I had so many requests from people who lived in Canada or California or New York or New Jersey or even Dubois in England that I uh, I made a commitment to create an online program. So um, I'm just actually, uh, I've got 11 of the 12 done, yay, and uh, it's not even up on my website yet, but I've told people that if they email me uh, at Trisha McCannon 1111 at yahoo.com, that's my personal email, uh, and you ask me to send you the introduction to the mysteries, uh, I'm happy to send it to you for free. It's um, 63 pages with lots of gorgeous illustrations. I mean, you know, being a photographer or graphic designer, I have to put lots and lots of images in everything. And at the back of it, there's about eight pages that, that um, show you the front cover and give you a really uh, great overview of each one of the 12 classes. And so if anybody decides that they're interested, they can take a look at the introduction, and then if they want to, um, you know, if they want to order one or two or three or whatever, they, they're certainly, um, they can do that. They can just email me and say, Tricia, hey, I want to order XYZ. And, you know, I say very clearly in the introduction what they cost, and, you know, then they can just do it through PayPal, and I send them the, the files. And they're, each one of them is between 100 and 180 pages, a lot of processes and exercises, gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful images, because the ancients taught in the language that was known as hermetics. And hermetics is what I like to call the secret language of the soul, it's a symbol language. And in our society, we're no stranger to symbols, but most of our symbols are exoteric. So a stop sign, you know, restaurant here, don't smoke. These are things that direct us to things outside of ourselves. Hermetics is a symbol language that is esoteric. It makes us turn inward. So, And we're no stranger even to some hermetic symbols. We've seen them our whole life. The white dove means the Holy Spirit. The lion represents uh, Christ the King, the, the Spirit of the Christ or Jesus. Um, the eagle represents the Divine Father energy. Um, the cross, that one's gotten really muddied. Most people just think it has to do with Jesus dying on the cross. But the cross has many, 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 many ancient uh, symbols that have to do with uh, everything from the four directions, the four elements, the crossing of the galactic equator, um, uh, the the tree of life, uh, the um, time-space continuum, that's the horizontal bar, where the vertical is the way of the return, the path. There are many things that the cross represents. But um, I have a whole discourse on hermetics and uh, on dreams, on soul travel, on all of these things. So yeah, I, I've I've loved putting these together. They've been a lot of work, but the last uh, year and a half, I've written basically about uh, well, eleven and a half, soon to be twelve uh, books, and I'm real excited about getting them out there. I just love that it's being made available for for everyone all over. Um, 
I didn't even mention at the beginning of the uh, the broadcast what the the title of our broadcast tonight is, and that is Ancient Paths of Wisdom, Providing Clues to Our Awakening. And so, I mean, with all the experience and all the um, the insight that you've received from so many different sources and 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 everything that's come to you, um, speak to us a little bit about you know what. What are some of the clues that can that can help our listeners in their own awakening and and for the collective awakening? If if there is an awakening for the entire collective, yes, I, I think that um, these are very deep matters, and uh, it's great to, to turn our attention this way. Um, first off, I do think that we are going through um, a birthing process. And it's a birthing process that, in truth, could actually create the next evolution of mankind. And with any luck, it would be a more compassionate, loving, telepathic, spiritually gifted person. Um, the, um, that's certainly what the evidence seems to be pointing to with all the star children and the crystal children and the indigo children and so forth coming in. Um, uh, and I would actually like to be able to give a, a process that people can work with at a very simple level but a very profound level. Um, uh, this is a working with light, and it's a simple meditation. Anybody can do it. The whole thing, if you sat, and it doesn't take more than 10 minutes, honestly, and do it every single day, and it literally will begin to dissolve karmic debris out of your field. So um, what would you do? Uh, get comfortable, sit up, don't lay down, get your back straight and be comfortable. Uh, turn off the phone, obviously. Um, imagine above your head, about two feet above your head, a, a beautiful orb of white light. This is actually a chakra that sits above your body, about two feet above your body, that is where your higher self sits. So this is when you think of the conscience, okay, like if you do something wrong and you hear this little inner voice going, I wouldn't do that if I was you, that's that higher self right above your head going, you know, I'm watching everything. Mostly I let you get away with a lot, but this is not one of those things. So, so that's the higher self. So imagine, if you will, that the higher self is the receiving station that connects you with the worlds above. So you're going to call in a series of lights or rays, color rays, and you're going to do it in a particular order, and the order is extremely important. So if you're out there with a pen and paper, get a pen and paper to write this down. You're going to call in first a red-orange flame energy. Now this flame is like a kundalini, but it's a cosmic kundalini. It's coming from the cosmos, not from your bottom chakra. And you're going to use it, you're going to say, I call in the red-orange flame of purification and cleansing. That's You're going to say it out loud because when you say it, you make it more real and you're able to focus on it. If you try to do this just in your head, believe me, it, it's not nearly as effective and you won't focus as well. So, And I downray it. This is the words. I downray it. So just imagine the higher self sending a, a big, broad beam of light in that color over all your, your whole body and your auric fields, okay? And we want to include all your auras because that's where most of your, you know, uh, stuff you want to clear is, is stored. 
I downray it into all of my bodies. And you want to hit four basic centers. I downray it into my mental center to release and dissolve any negative thoughts. And you can elaborate if you want to. Negative thoughts, negative judgments, negative doubts, whatever you got in there, you know, have at it. Or you can make it simple. I downray it into my throat chakra to release any negative speech. And again, if you want to elaborate, you're very welcome to. Uh, you know, after you've cleared out a certain amount, you won't have to say very much. But in the beginning, you can think of a lot of things to say that you want to get rid of. I downray it to my heart chakra to cleanse my heart of any negative feelings, anger, sadness, grief, you know, loss, regret, whatever we got stored in there. I downray it into my emotional centers. And that would be your second and third chakra around your belly and your, your belly button. Uh, to cleanse any negative fears, any self-reproach. This is where we have negative thoughts about ourselves. Our hearts are more involved with negative thoughts in our relationships with others, where our our second and third chakras are, you know, uh, to let go of my fear, to let go of my poverty consciousness, to let go of my whatever it is you've got going on down there. Um, I release and dissolve it. And, And any of the releasing and dissolving, it's important to say, and again, you can do it on each one, or you can just do it once you've finished all four. I release it into the black and gray energies of the mineral kingdom, and I release it from my body and all my bodies. And then just let yourself sit there for a minute and bathe in that ray. So that's the first ray. The second one is a blue-white ray, like the flame, like when you turn on the gas burner and you see that hot blue that's got that incandescent white in it. And this one is Mm -hmm. for purification, but it brings in uh, recharge of your energies. It's kind of a happy scouring energy that recharges you. The next one is white, and the white is incredible. It is like a column of light that you'll see it almost like a pillar because it's directly connected with your higher self and your mission. The fourth one is the green ray. Now, green is uh, balance, and when that ray comes down, you'll feel like wings going out on your left and right, balancing your thinking, your speech, your heart, and your emotions. Now, you can stop there if you want to, but if you want to work for prosperity or money, bring in turquoise. That's the next one. I bring in the turquoise ray. I down-ray it into all of my bodies. I bring in the the ray of prosperity, success, and abundance into my thinking that I may manifest from the highest place, into my speech that I may remember that anything is possible, into my heart that I may live in the knowledge that I'm supported and infinitely abundant, into my emotional chakras that I may uh, manifest from a place of security and um, groundedness uh, from the in the highest way. And then... If you need mental clarity, use yellow. It's a really happy kind of bright lemony yellow. Uh, if you want to connect with the masters, use a violet, like the violet ray of Saint Germain. And this is actually this order. That order is really the perfect order. Now you can stop at any point. You can stop after green. If you want love, use rose. Rose is good to put, you know, after the turquoise or after the green. Um, if you're needing love in your life, if you're needing to soften your heart. And you can not only do this with yourself, um, but you can do this uh, with the permission of the higher self with others. 
if you have conflicts in your families or you have loved ones that are mm, having a hard time because of uh, sadness or anger or hurt or poverty or rigidity or addiction, you can say, with the permission of the higher self, I ask to downray this, uh, you know, the red-orange flame in, into Joe Blow's uh, higher chakra. I, and then you go through the same exact process I just described, you know, with permission of the higher self. Now, obviously, if the higher self chooses something else, no problem. But I'll just tell you, I, I had just had this happen with a friend of mine that got um, was having a terrible time and uh, just exploding and yelling at everybody. And this is a friend who is a very good person, but I don't think they've ever apologized in their whole life. And one night I uh, I thought, what am I going to do about this? And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to send them love. I'm going to send them light with permission of their higher self. I'm going to send this down. The next day they texted me this long, amazing text where they apologized and they they really opened up their heart. It was so beautiful. I thought, oh, my goodness. So it, it does work, but, of course, you, you always, you know, free will must reign. Everyone must choose their own reality. Right, I'd, right, love, I'd love to share that, share that with us, something, something that uh, can really assist really people uh, long, long after uh, uh, the interviewers are really appreciate that. Now, now. But I must tell you, you're sounding, I think our connection has gotten really bad for some reason. I don't know why, but do you want me to call you right back? I can't hear you very well. Okay, okay. is it better now or now? No, no, we still, it's uh, it's like an electronic interference. So let me do this. I'm going to hang up, and I will ring you right back. Is that okay? Okay, perfect. Go ahead, go ahead. We'll go for it. Go for it. We'll be right back here. Chris is going to call back in, and we'll get her back on. Just uh, hang with us for a moment. Absolutely fascinating uh, interview this evening. And let's see where she is here. Trish, are you with us? Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Was it fuzzy on your end? No, it wasn't. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, well, did you like that uh, meditation? Oh, I absolutely loved it. And just for the listeners to know, um, the ones that are listening live, this will be archived right afterwards. And anyone that wants to listen to it again to take more notes and, and pull that together, they'll be able to listen to it as much as they want. Um, now, Trisha, I wanted, um, I'd, I'd like you to uh, just speak about uh, the books. And so... Whichever book you want. Uh, let, let's talk about Dialogues with the Angels. Listen, I would love to. I just want to say this one thing before we, we leave from the color work. That yes. meditation, um, although I seem like I'm sort of developing it myself, was inspired by a wonderful woman named Barbara Martin. And um, she wrote uh, a couple of books about Change Your Aura, Change Your Life. 
And um, she she's had the gift of clairvoyance her whole life, but hers has been focused on the aura. And so I always try to give credit where credit is due. So I want to just honor the the great uh, masters. You know, the they call them chohans, but they're the masters of the seven rays, who have spent so much time working with Barbara. And uh, it's because Barbara's work has gone out into the world that, um, and I've been turned on to that and begun to work with these masters myself that I'm able to share that with others. So I just wanted to honor her. Well, I appreciate I appreciate that. That's that's good for all of us. Now, before you go on to the question I asked, I, now I've got another question that's that's just pertinent to this. Have you ever connected with masters or or um, that you thought were masters or other beings or, or ETs that that were not trying to help you, that were trying to deliberately give you information to, to take you and anyone that would listen to you off path or anything like that? Uh, that would just be human beings. <laughs> <laughs> no, the masters aren't really uh, like that. Uh, and I'm sure that there are some ETs that... Uh, like the Greys have had their own agenda to biologically survive and to come back in, in time because they're from the future, uh, from different time periods in the future, uh, and to try to get the original genetic material that they began with 10,000, 20,000, 60,000, 40,000 years ago. So the Greys come from uh, timelines in the future where basically our own uh, military-industrial complex wound up doing so many genetic experiments that they created them and then they went off on their own track and came to a dead end because, uh, you know, if you cut out emotion, you cut out the capacity for compassion. And it's in the province of the heart and in love that uh, we have the chance to, to move into mastery. So no matter how brilliant you are in the mind, if you can't feel then uh you know you're at a genetic dead end. So the greys are a different story. The reptilians, you know, um I certainly have seen the reptilians in a few people's readings and so forth, but uh they have never bothered me and certainly they some of them are uh you know, uh, nicer than others. <laughs> and some of them are worse than others. But um you know, there're many different races out there and like there's over a hundred worlds that belong to the Galactic Council. That's a lot of planetary systems, and most of them are human, uh, but human with some variety. Some have webbed toes and webbed hands. Some have uh, more, um, you know, gills or have uh, hooves. I mean, there's a lot of variety, but the humanoid shape. We're the, like the mammalian humanoid shape. There's a, a, a cat, uh, cat-headed race like that. There's a, a, a race that comes from the insectoid kingdom. They're very, very old, patient species. Uh, kind. I actually like the, those beings. Um, but there's a lot of benevolent races out there, and there's certainly a lot that look some version of human. Uh, some that are shorter than us, some that are taller than us, some that have blue skin, some that have orange skin, uh, some that are really tall. I mean, like 25, 30, 50 feet tall. There's some very large beings. And in my presentations, you know, I, as I told you, I've been doing, this summer I spent about two months doing nine weeks of presentations around the Galactic Alignment 2012. And um, 
that uh, whole series of presentations I'm hoping to be able to do in webinars. Um, I don't have them up yet on my on my website, but hopefully sometime in the next month or six weeks I will so that people can take them if they want to. But they span the gamut from the kinds of changes that are going on in our solar system, the arrival of Nibiru. Most people don't really even know about that, but that's one of the reasons for the solar flares, the passing through the galactic, uh, over the galactic equator, and how what the science uh, tells us about that, what the prophecies tell us about that, how this is connected with the UFO phenomena and the presence of literally hundreds of ships in our skies. Um, I'm, I've, you know, traveled extensively, and Mexico and South America are really having a lot of visitations, but they really are happening everywhere, and there's some kinds of ships we've never seen before, star tetrahedral ships, pyramid ships, Pyramids that have that look like a pyramid that's upside down with its base to a pyramid that's right side up, beings, uh, ships or creatures or whatever they are that look like twelve foot long flying dragons that move slowly into shapes. Uh, there was just uh, one in um, Japan that looked like uh, it was in a forest and it pushed off and it looked like slow moving tendrils, kind of like uh, like a uh, a sea, what are those, um, you know, jellyfish, like a jellyfish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody knows that there are big changes coming to our planet. This is well known in the galaxy. Everybody knows that we're crossing the galactic equator. And when, as this happens, it's as if there is a merger of the planes. For a period of time, there are beings, let us say, from the second dimension that are coming up and into the third dimension. And we're finding them. And again, if you do the kind of research I do, uh, there are pictures of mermaids, real mermaids. Now, they don't look so pretty because they have, you know, they have to eat raw fish. So, of course, they're pale and they have kind of, you know, sharp incisors. But if you had to eat a fish raw, that's probably what you would have too, mm-hmm. that are actually appearing real, you know, bodies. <laughs> and this is all stuff that, of course, was myth long ago. Um, uh, also, um, uh, there are creatures that you can hold in the palm of your hand. They're that little. So these are beings from the second dimension that are coming up because they're going to get a chance to graduate to the third dimension. We, in the third dimension, we're going to get a a chance to graduate to the fourth dimension or maybe even the fifth dimension. So you also have beings that are visiting here from, you know, the, the third and the fourth and the fifth dimension in spaceships. So it's a very, very exciting time, and it's not going to last that long. I don't know, you know, if it's going to last, you know, 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, but then there'll be a separation of the planes once again, and depending on where your consciousness is is where you're going to wind up being. Does this make sense to you? Oh, it absolutely does. So does this relate to different timelines for people, for humans? Well, how do you see that? Can you ask that question a little different way so I understand you better? Well, when you're talking about, um, you know, where our consciousness is, is where where we'll sort of end up, um, then there's multiple places. Uh, 
just multiple places or an infinite number of possibilities for humans as we exist now to end up someplace else? Well, you know, goodness gracious. Um, you know, we've mostly been talking about time in a, a, a normal way. In other words, uh, <laughs> as a linear progression. Uh, and uh, we haven't really been talking about parallel timelines. That's a, kind of a big conversation in itself. <laughs> and I actually know a fair amount about that for a number of reasons. But that's such a complex subject. Maybe we should try some of the easier ones first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I will say this, that the ancients taught us that time is circular because time is, um, uh, you know, we move around the galaxy every 240 to 260 million years. But we don't just go around in a flat plate like a record player. We go up and down like a sine wave. And so uh, roughly... uh, 11, 12, 13,000 years ago, we crossed the galactic equator, moving from being above it to dropping below it. This is during the fall of Atlantis. And when this occurred, we literally fell into the third dimension. And uh, it was not just overnight, but it was pretty sudden, a drop. Uh, And then it slowly, you know, slowly we moved down until you know probably the 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 worst point was the dark ages and now we've moved up very very quickly and now we're going to cross the galactic equator and go above it now many of us believe and i think there's good reason to believe that when this occurs that the vibrational molecules of our world will be accelerated to the point that we may move into the fourth dimension and uh, at the top of that parabolic curve, which takes about you know a long period of time, some believe we might even reach the fifth dimension. And I think it's possible. I think that these are reoccurring cycles in time. And uh, there are times of great uh, knowledge and awareness. Uh, you know, the ancients actually taught that there were three primary kinds of cultures. Um, and you might have heard me say this on the panel in San Francisco, there are cultures that are oriented towards the divine, and these are called sattva cultures, the golden age cultures. Uh, and you can look at examples like Egypt or like India. Uh, their art, their music, their jewelry, their dress, their temples, their buildings, everything was oriented towards God. Uh, or some form of God, you know, the God, the goddess, all of the above. Um, there are Raja cultures, and that's the culture that we have. That's a horizontal co- uh, culture. Bigger is better. More is better. We have the most wonderful houses and the best cars and the greatest clothes and the most abundance of food and, you know, all of this. And usually the Raja culture has a subculture that's still spiritual, like we have churches. But many times there's it's more superficial. The religion or the spirituality is more superficial. That doesn't mean that they're not individual people with great depth. Don't misunderstand me, but it's not nearly as, as profound. And then you have the Tamask cultures. And these are the downwardly pulling cultures that are more demonic in nature. And they actually... Uh, 
distort things and create chaos. So you have a lot of examples of that. That whole, you know, um thing that we've seen with young people wearing their pants down to their the crack of their bottom, you know, <laughs> thinking that they're cool. Where did that come from? It came from prisoners who weren't allowed to wear belts because they they could do damage to themselves or somebody else. So here the cool thing is to what? Look like a prisoner. When I say, oh, yeah, that's very bad, and I really mean that's really good, that's another distortion where things that are not very high in consciousness are elevated as if they are the things to emulate. And, you know, we see this with everything from, you know, gosh, you know, uh, negative uh, uh, rap music, you know. And, of course, there is some good rap out there. I don't want to... You know, say rap is terrible, but if vibration uh, affects uh, uh, the molecules of our body, uh, then there are certain vibrations that really are uh, destructive, basically, and there are other vibrations that are harmonic. And so, what we have is a Raja culture with a Tamask downwardly pulling subculture and then uh, a subculture that you and Laura and I and our listeners are part of, which is an upwardly uh, uh, unfolding uh, or, or oriented golden age culture. We're about we're part of a group of people, and I'm sure that we number probably in the millions now, that are about trying to make the world a better place and bring more harmony and balance into our own personal lives, into our friendships, and into our society. Okay, perfect. Are you there? Now, yeah, oh, absolutely. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Did you, did, did you resonate with that? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Now, what I want to do, because I'm just looking at the time and we've got about 15 minutes left, um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about um, your books a little bit. Um, and then I know you've got some wonderful things coming up between now and the end of the year, and um, I want you to share uh, those events and, and, and some things like that. So do uh, you want to talk, just speak a little bit uh, about Dialogues with the Angels? Yeah, I'll speak about both books. My first book, Dialogues with the Angels, is just going into its fourth printing, and I've actually added about 100 pages and 30 black and white illustrations or paintings. So um, I'm very excited about that. And those will actually be ready to ship out, I think, in about two weeks. Yay. It's taken the whole summer to get those revisions done. And those, that book is a great book. It's an easy read. People tell me that, you know, it, that they cry and they laugh and it changes their life. And it's really the story of, uh, you know, my own story, at least to a point, where I began with seeing the angels and the fairies and the divas and the elementals and then how the masters came in and began to teach me. And, and um, there's a lot of wisdom uh, through it because when we start talking about the masters, I then stop and teach what the masters taught. And when we get to, uh, you know, the elementals, I stop and teach how the elemental kingdom fits into the whole picture. So uh, it's a great book. Um, so anyone who's interested, you can certainly go to my website, um, 
which is www.trishamccannonspeaks.com, and it is it's there. Uh, but be sure to send me an email because um, uh, I'll be sending out a new copy of the book, which I think is just going to be a little more because it's an extra hundred pages. So um, then. The second book is the book on Jesus, and in brief, there's so much we could say about that. We could do a whole program around Jesus and the great spiritual mysteries because he was such a profound master, and I really adore him. Um, that book actually took about three years to write. It was uh, quite um, – uh, I really went into a cave, and I was writing another book, uh, a book called Decoding the Mysteries of the Ages, and I had put in three little chapters on Jesus into this book, but as I wrote it, I kept going back and adding more till I had 200 pages on him inside of now a, a whopping 600-page book, which, you know, publishers aren't going to go for that. So <laughs> I was like, what in the world should I do? Mamma mia, they're having babies. So I had just decided to, the, the solution to my problem was to pull the 200 pages out on Jesus and um, that was, yep, that was my decision. Well, famous last words. Um, I was actually laying on the floor of my office, and it was that week between Christmas and New Year's where everything's very still and quiet, and you can really go into the cave. It's winter. And I had my hand over my eyes, and I suddenly saw this bright light shining down on me, and I moved my hand, and Jesus was actually standing in the room in his light body, and uh his energy is so immense; it just opens the heart. He's and, he, and there's none of this suffering. He's such a joyous being, and without any preamble, he said, "I want you to write a book about my lost years and secret teachings. There has been enough war and bloodshed in my name." And of course, I was just blown away. But I think my first thought, uh, ridiculous as it was, was, "Well, can I finish this other book first? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he laughed and waved his hand, and he like, don't worry, I'll open every door. It won't take but just a moment. And, um, you know, it took me about 15 or 20 minutes of laying there on the floor, going through my, well, okay, how hard would it be? And then I was like, what am I thinking? Write a book on Jesus. Oh, my God, they'll burn me at the stake. And, you know, I had all my fears come up from my own past lives, and, he followed every thought. He just telepathically stood there and followed every single thought. And finally I got to the point of thinking, you know, I know when he came in, incarnated, he incarnated deliberately amidst two of the the, the densest groups at that time on the planet, which were the, the Romans and the Jews that had really lost their way, except for the Essenes. Um, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees really, they didn't, they weren't passing on wisdom at that point. They just were rules and regulations. And I thought, well, my goodness, if he could do that, I could at least write a darn book. So I, <laughs> I, I agreed, and it took me, it was a, and, but he was true to his word because I wound up getting access to some of the 570,000 documents hidden in the Vatican that no one's been allowed to see for over 100 years. I had people show up at my house with secret documents and books that they, they had had or that they had found or they had saved their whole life. Um, I uh, had books materialized on my bookshelf. It, it was a remarkable experience. And for the whole three years, the masters were coming into my bedroom uh, and teaching me at night. He was he was there. I had this um, 
couple of friends of mine from Central America who came up and they had adopted this beautiful little highly psychic Mayan girl who was about five years old, who's now my goddaughter. Uh, and uh, we put her to sleep in the room where I had been sleeping, a little canopy room. And the next morning when we were going to breakfast, I uh, was uh, giving her a teddy bear as a gift. And I said, now you can name this little teddy bear anything you want. And she said, Issa. And I said, oh, you mean Eliza, oh, Elizabeth, Eliza, Elizabeth. She said, no, Issa. And, I mean, she had to say it three times before it dawned on me that this is, of course, what Jesus called himself. He called himself Issa everywhere he went. And this is how he was known in England. It's how he was known in India was the great Lord Issa, which means firstborn. And it comes from Issa um Anima Hedatu, which is an ancient name for Brahma, the creator god. And um, this little girl, without knowing anything about what I was doing or the fact that these masters had been coming to visit me in that room, was so psychic that when he showed up that night, she got his name. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. Wow. Well, so anyway, that book has over 100 illustrations and... uh, you know, it's got over 100 pages of back matter and 1,200 footnotes. So I was definitely a woman obsessed. And you know, when I said I would do something, I, I took it very seriously. And and it really uh, is very honoring to him and to the great spiritual mysteries that he was trained in. And of course, we have only remnants of what he actually taught his apostles in the New Testament. And thank goodness we have that. But you know, as as the Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Thomas, have begun to be published, uh, you know, some of the deeper levels of his teachings have begun to surface. And so I basically, uh, uh, in that book, I, I explained what the mysteries were taught in each of the places where he studied and how they were reflected in his teachings. And so it's a great book if if you ever get a chance to to really read it and again you can get it on my website you can get it on amazon um so those are the two in print so thank you for asking oh excellent now just um for the kind of closing i i i want to just throw out there right away that laura and i are going to be with you during the fall equinox september 21st to the 23rd at the star knowledge Asheville conference in north carolina and so um and I didn't know that when uh, when I contacted you to be the guest for tonight's show, and and uh, so I just love that uh, that the synchronicity of that to me is just um, I'm all uh, giddy about it. So I look forward to seeing you um, in uh, ten days, actually, or something like that. But tell us what else you have going on. Well, that is going to be a great event, and it is near Hendersonville or Asheville, North Carolina. And as you know, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the people behind it are uh, being that uh, a, a lovely shaman named Lauren Standing Elk, whose name is now Lauren Light Eagle. And he's a lovely man and two wonderful grounded uh, Donnas. And so anyone who's interested can go to uh, the website, which is www.starknowledgeashville, and get all the information. And it should be great. Uh, we start at 9 and go to 9 every night, and there will be labyrinths and crystal grids and uh, drumming and uh, some great teachers and speakers like Laura and yourself and me and I'm sure m- many others 
Uh, there may even be sweat lodges. So anyone who's interested, please check out starknowledgeashville.com. Uh, in October, I'm going to be at the Universal Light Expo in Columbus, Ohio, and that is always the second weekend, I think the 13th and 14th of uh, October. And that is um, a fabulous show. It's been going on for 23 years, and there are probably five, six, 7,000 people from all around the southeast or the east coast that come as far away as Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, the Carolinas. Uh, it's a wonderful show. And um, um, I'll be speaking on Saturday, both a lecture and a workshop on the spiritual mysteries and um, Jesus and also on these changes with uh, 2012 coming up. And I'll be staying over for about a week and seeing clients and doing readings for people while I'm there. And... Um, uh, actually speaking at the Phoenix Bookstore, which is their oldest bookstore in Columbus. So uh, anyone who's interested, you know, by all means, just email me at the Trisha McCann 1111 at yahoo.com or call me directly uh, if you're interested in uh, coming or setting up a, a reading or something. Uh, and my phone number uh, for anybody who needs it is 404-355-2211. Then in the beginning of November, I will be in San Francisco. The first weekend of November, I'll be teaching a mystery school out in San Francisco on the West Coast and staying over to teach in Santa Cruz the following week. And again, in between, I'll be uh, doing readings. So if anyone's interested, you can call me and we can talk about connecting while I'm out there. And the 1st of December, I'll be in New York City for the same kind of thing for about a week. And then at the very end of the year, I'm going to be at this remarkable gathering, synchronized gathering, worldwide gathering in Chichen Itza in Mexico. And this is uh, an event called Synthesis 2012. And you can go to their website at www.synthesis2012. And it is, they're expecting 50,000 people. Only 2,000 people can come to this conference. That's all there's room for in the hotels and the haciendas. But they are having elders from the Mayans, from Africa, from Haiti. Uh, we're doing uh, a live telecast with Nassim Hariman and Isuro Imoto, the guy who wrote the book about living waters uh, in England, also with Australia, um, uh, people in Australia, also in Egypt, the Great Pyramid. So there's going to be a whole synchronized set of ceremonies going on, and it'll start on Thursday night, the 20th. So people will fly into Cancun, and they'll have a bus that takes them an hour and a half to Chichen Itza, where they'll be in this wonderful hacienda. And so you probably would fly in on Wednesday night, but I'm sure all this information is on their website. And uh, the, we have opening ceremonies about 4 o'clock on, on Thursday. Friday, we're actually at Chichen Itza the whole day until about 5 o'clock when we come back. And uh, Friday evening and Saturday and Sunday is just going to be uh, an incredible event. Uh, the producer, Michael uh, Martinez, has done major um, music gatherings really all over uh, the world. He's actually quite famous for them and has worked with a lot of big, big um, bands and acts. And so they'll have music, dance, ceremony, speakers, uh, you know, it's going to be a big event. 
So that's something I would really suggest to our listeners that you check out. And if you do, by the way, tell them that I sent you. That would be great. Uh, we had a conference call today about that, and there's some terrific people coming, including Nikki Scully, who has done trips to Egypt, and a lovely woman named Debbie Pesci that I'm just getting to know, but really phenomenal uh, teachers. So well, you and um Oh, I'm telling you, it sounds wonderful. We'll uh, we we've been holding off on making any plans at that time, but but this could be it. Um, I just want to thank you so much for being our guest tonight. I have to tell you that um, I I don't even think we scratched the surface of of what you are um, here to share with everyone, and so I really really suggest that people. Get to your website, TrishaMcCannonSpeaks.com. I understand the site will be updated in the next six weeks, but but get there now and and get their e- get get your email address to Trisha so she can keep in touch with you. Um, she is just a wealth of information, and it has been so wonderful to have you on this broadcast tonight on 9/11 because your energy is so wonderful and it transcends. Anything else that people were focused on on this day relating to anything that's been happening and really keeps us in touch with the big picture, and that's exactly what we wanted to do tonight. And I know that uh, Laura joins me in thanking you, and and she wishes she felt better. I know that for sure, and that she had been able to be here. But we'll see you in uh, 10 days in Asheville, and that's very exciting and um, again, thank I'm looking you so much. To it, Doctor Dream. Thank you so much, and please give Laura my love. And I, I can't wait to get to see you guys in person, and only in a little more than a week. Yay! Yeah, no, this is perfect. All right, everyone, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, We'll be back next week. Um, Both of us will be back next week with Scott Stevens, who we met at the Consciousness Beyond Chemtrails conference uh, here in Southern California. Um, And he's got some really powerful information that he has to, to share with us. And uh, in the meantime, keep your hearts open and just share all the love that you are. Thank you so much for being awake in the dream with us. Good night, everyone. Good night.